and welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and we are back this week studying for the week of May 3rd through 9th in Doctrine and Covenants, sections 46 through 48. Now, last week we studied one big section, section 45. This week, 46, 47, and 48 are shorter sections, but sections that build upon what we talked about last week. Yeah, last week the focus was on the external pressures church members were facing and the difficulty they had in embracing their faith. And of course, most importantly, examining ourselves and the own our own external pressures and our own efforts to embrace the faith. This week, we're looking at internal stresses and pressures. What's going on inside the church and inside individual members? And what's going on inside of us that sometimes makes it difficult to identify God's presence and recognize when he's speaking to us? So just to give a little bit of background, um, a lot of these sections come in really short succession. This is one of the most intense periods of revelation in, in church history. It's right as Joseph Smith and other members of the Church of New York are gathering in Kirtland, Ohio, meeting with the new converts that are there. And there's a lot of questions that prompt a lot of revelations. Um, one of the questions that's being asked in 1831 as this revelation is received is, what does it look like or what does it feel like when the Spirit of God is present? Now, there's a pretty common practice in uh, America at this time with Christians who, when they feel under the direction of the Spirit, will manifest that spiritual influence in a lot of pretty exuberant, loud, and, uh, and somewhat confusing ways. Uh, just to give you an example, uh, Levi Hancock, who's an early convert to the church, meets a couple of elders of the church. And he describes what they do when they are under the direction of the Spirit. He says, uh, Burr Riggs, one of them, would jump up from the floor, strike his head against the joist, swing for some minutes, then fall like he was dead. He would then rise and relate visions he had while unconscious. Edson Fuller would fall and turn black in the face. Heman Bassett would behave like a baboon. Other church members would ride, uh, would write, some would fancy to themselves that they had the sword of Laban and would wield it as an expert in a light dragoon. Some would slide or scoot on the floor with the rapidity of a serpent, which they termed sailing in the boat to the Lamanites. Uh, a newspaper in Painesville that we mentioned last week uh, writes somewhat contemptuously that uh, there was a scene of the wildest enthusiasm among church members. And uh, John Coral writes that it made a lot of people suspicious that uh, these spiritual manifestations were not from God, but from some kind of evil source. And so church members are genuinely interested and a little bit confused. They understand that the heavens are opened, that God is speaking, that things are happening. But this is also so common in the American religious culture that they can't quite separate the difference between true manifestations of the Spirit and these kind of confusing, loud, uh, traditional behaviors that people exhibit when they're supposedly under the influence of the Spirit. 
You know, I think it's so interesting not only to think of the differences, ways, the different ways in which the Spirit speaks to us, but also the different culture that was happening in that day. You know, it's something that we just can't really understand exactly. Um, and Zach was actually reading that from the Gospel Topics essay, which we'll put in our show notes, which I think could be helpful for any background on that. But um, I think this is so similar to us today in how we can really distinguish the Spirit for ourselves. What does it feel like? What does it look like? And what what is a manifestation of the Spirit for me? Yeah. One of the questions that I have, well, the question that I have been asked the most often by youth and young adults is, how do I know when I am being prompted by the Spirit? How do I know when God is talking to me? How do I know when the Spirit is speaking? Is it my own thoughts or is that a prompting or an impression? And, and we've all had that question probably multiple times a day. As a thought comes into our mind, is that from me or does it come from God? And uh, despite many lessons on it, discussions on it, the, the question still lingers. And I think our study today can really help us solidify some truths that uh, maybe help us answer that question a little bit more permanently. And I think another way that this study this year of the Doctrine and Covenants can really relate us to the early saints of the church, what they were going through, because it really is those same questions that we have today. Yeah. So we have a question that we want to give to you for your study. But before we ask the question, we have to clarify a word that I think gets misunderstood in section 46. And because of that misunderstanding, section 46 doesn't carry its full potential. And the word is gift. The way that we traditionally read section 46 is, here is a list of spiritual gifts that God gives to us, kind of like talents or abilities. Here are the talents and abilities that he gives to you. Here are the talents and abilities that he gives to me. Not anybody of us, not any one of us has all of the talents, and uh, we are supposed to help each other out and, and to progress towards acquiring more talents. Now, that is not a bad discussion to have. Uh, it's not incorrect that God gives us certain spiritual gifts or talents. However, remember that the question in section 46 is, how do we identify God's presence and his voice. How do we know when he's speaking to us? And so in section 46, when the word gift is used, spiritual gifts, I don't think it just means possessions or talents or abilities. In fact, I think it more accurately means manifestations of the Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 has a similar discussion of spiritual gifts. And if you read that closely, Paul is addressing a very similar problem in Corinth that the saints are dealing with here in Kirtland. And he gives a list of spiritual manifestations. Now he does, the, the English does use the word gift, I think right in verse one, but in the Greek, the word gift is not actually there. He's just talking about spiritual manifestations. So not that it is my authority at all to change a word in the scriptures, but one word that might be helpful to, to add to that phrase of spiritual gifts or to adjust might be to say, these are spiritual signs. These are true manifestations of God's presence. In other words, when God is present, these things will happen. And that's how you can know that God is truly there. 
Does that make sense at all? <laughs> well, I just, I just was thinking, isn't that, I mean, obviously we talked about this before we started recording this, but I just think that's such a cool way to think of it because it really does help with this question. I think this is such a hard question to answer. How, how does the spirit speak to me? And I know that's been a big push. We've talked about it often in the podcast in the past of seeing other people, Joseph Smith and all of these examples, how they you know, hear his voice and all that that President Nelson is saying. But mm. I think that this can be so helpful and maybe even a little more practical than some of the stuff that we've talked about yeah, before. Yeah. So the question for you then, understanding that gifts means at least signs or manifestations. The question for you is, what gifts have I seen or received from God that evidence his presence? What gifts have I seen or received from God that evidence his presence? And to help you answer that question, we want to point out a couple of gifts or signs of the Spirit in section 46 that we found really helpful in answering that question. So I actually wanted to start out with a story that has been on my mind lately as I've kind of grappled with this question of, is it me? Is it the Spirit? Who, who's talking right now? Um, and it is one that happened actually, I for some reason remember this particular one, though there has been many since then of a similar tone. Um, I, had, I had a baby, my first baby, and Zach was busy with work and school, and so I had the thought to, I was going to drive down to visit grandparents, and, you know, a few hour drive, just me and the baby, and so many doubts came crashing in. Something bad's going to happen. Doubts and worries. Something bad's going to happen. You know, it was probably the first time that I was taking our little family apart. So it was felt extra big. Um, and I had so much worry and so much doubt that even though I really wanted to make the trip happen, um, I backed out of it and I didn't go. And maybe that's why I remember this one particular because I got so wrapped up in the fears. And I I get it. I know that sometimes we have those warning voices, mm -hmm. but that comes back to the question of the reason that I'm constantly doubting myself is because I know that we can have warning voices, but I let the, what is, what's the voice telling me? Well, that was, I mean, I remember you asking that question as you were getting ready to take the trip. Are these fears coming from God? Is he trying to tell me not to go because our car is gonna get in a crash and we're gonna die? Or is this just me being paranoid and scared? And how do I know which one is which? Mm -hmm. And that question has continued to be on my mind through these years. As you get older, you realize the the frailty of life and you gain more, for me, more children to be the caretaker of. And so it's become almost a question of more magnitude in a lot of ways. And so it's almost weighed heavier on my mind. And this week as I was studying, I loved this saying as he, as the Lord begins to answer this question. Um, starting out in section 46, verse 7, he says, But ye are commanded in all things to ask of God, who giveth liberally, and that which the Spirit testifies unto you, even so I would that ye should do in all holiness of heart, walking uprightly before me, considering the end of your salvation, doing all things with prayer and thanksgiving, that ye may not be seduced by evil spirits or doctrines of devils or the commandments of men. For some are of men 
and other are of devils. Um, and then I happened to be studying a talk from Elder Maxwell from 1976, one of his more well-known ones, or at least some of you are going to recognize this phrase that I'm pulling, but it's notwithstanding my weakness, is the title of the talk. And he says something very similar to this. He uses the, wor the words, we can distinguish more clearly between divine discontent and the devil's dissonance. And I couldn't help but think of the devil's dissonance with these phrases in the scriptures here. Being seduced by evil spirits or doctrines of devils. And I think whether that be worries about other people, about your safety, about life, or whether it be those self-doubts we have, the phrases and the stories that we make up in our head that can be really hard, um, it's so important to remember this. This Is this divine discontent, or am I really letting the devil's dissonance take over? I know for me, um, I'm still trying to grapple with this, this concept in my own mind, but I know for me, as I open up my mind to more um, worry and fear, and having this very fear-based mentality versus a more faithful, positive outlook, that I feel the devil's dissonance. I feel like I'm essentially being seduced by evil spirits, like it says in here. And I can feel that, that almost that I'm inviting that negativity into my life by feeding it more. And isn't that what we always say? What you feed is what's going to grow. Um, so I guess for that one, I just invite you to maybe just think of those two terms, divine discontent and the devil's dissonance. What am I really listening to? as I seek for his evidence in my life. I think that's a really powerful identification that when the adversary speaks to us, or sometimes when we're just speaking to ourselves, uh, it comes with depressing, dampening, uh, disdainful tones. Whereas when God speaks to us, even though there may, might be promptings to improve or to grow or to change, they're always... Or even, or even that warning. Right. Right. But they're always, they're always pointed forward. They're always pointed upward. It's always in an effort to lift us and move us to something better or higher. And that's maybe a subtle difference, but identifying it's important. Mine that I found connects to that. Um... I noticed this in verse 9. As the Lord starts to explain these manifestations of the Spirit, he says, I say unto you, they are given, meaning those signs, those gifts, are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep all my commandments and him that seeketh so to do, that all may be benefited that seek or that ask of me. Uh, verse 12, to some is given one, and to some is given another, that all may be profited thereby. And then verse 26, all these gifts come from God for the benefit of the children of God. Um, as I read that, I thought of 2 Nephi 26, verse 24, one of my favorite references in the Book of Mormon, where Nephi explains, in fact, 23 and 24, I say unto you that the Lord God worketh not in darkness, he doeth not anything, save it be for the benefit of the world, for he loveth the world. 
even that he layeth down his own life, that he may draw all men unto him. Wherefore, he commandeth none that they shall not partake of his salvation. I love, one of my favorite characteristics about Christ is uh, that he is consistently and completely focused on our benefit and on our profit. And he doesn't do anything unless it benefits or profits us. Now, that's not to say that everything will always be good, of course. Sometimes struggle, hardship, difficulty, profits and benefits us. But whatever he does is aimed at our benefit. Now, how does that help us identify then when God is speaking to us, when we're, when we're uh, feeling the Spirit or when we're in the presence of the Savior? Well, if that's who they are, the kind of people, the kind of gods that do things for our benefit, stands to reason that when they are speaking to us or through us or being with us, that the feelings we get will be aimed at our own benefit and the benefit of others. So by implication, he won't tell us to do anything that isn't of benefit or profit to ourselves and to others. So for example, you will never be prompted to do something that tears somebody else down. There will never come the prompting that you should do something that in any way takes someone else down or diminishes someone else. You won't be prompted to do anything that negatively impacts others, even if it benefits you. And conversely, you won't be prompted to do something that negatively impacts yourself, even if it benefits others. Because it says there that this is for the benefit of all. God does things for the benefit of all. He's not going to tell you to do something that negatively impacts you, even if it positively impacts someone else. Um, another way to say this, this is maybe a weird source, but in uh, the policy manual for church educators, there's a little place on, on uh, morality in the workplace, doing right things, even when people aren't watching you, that kind of stuff. And I really like this line. It says, quote, there is no right way to do a wrong thing. And it is wrong to do a right thing in a wrong way. And I have to, every time I read that, I have to stop and read it over again to try and understand exactly what it's saying. <laughs> yeah. But the, maybe some scenarios help. I, I, uh, I think that the desire to improve ourselves, to improve others, and to improve the church community are wonderful desires. However, I know that there is a strong temptation to go about that improvement by way of criticism, chastisement, um, harsh comparisons, or negative examples. And I do not think that's how God works. I don't think he has us move towards improvement by identifying what people are doing that's wrong, or at least me identifying what people are doing that's wrong. Uh, he is God and, of course, can chastise and correct uh, because he sees all things and can do that in a beneficial way. But, but he's not going to prompt me to chastise or tear down someone else, even if I think it's for the benefit of the church. It's interesting because that is really applicable, I think, in that external way. And it's also the same, you know, this episode, we're taking this a more personal level, like that internal battle we have. And I think that's the same thing for um, as we make improvements on ourselves. It can get really overwhelming when we think of all of the things that we need to do and all of the things we need to get done. But it's wrong to do the right thing, all those 
things that we're getting prompted to do, um, but don't do them in the wrong way. And I'd say that, like in that example you were giving, don't be critical of yourself and mean to yourself over and over as you try and improve and be what God mm. wants you to be. That's not that's not the way that he he doesn't. Maybe I'd say that as he doesn't speak in overwhelm. He's not trying to overwhelm and criticize you to become better. He wants you to love yourself so that you want to become a better person. So good. So good. Well, as we begin to look at this list of these spiritual gifts in, you know, in chapter 46, starting around verse 13, as these gifts are listed, I notice the pattern in these words of these actions that we're supposed to be taking, believing, um, being wise, having faith, healing, working of miracles, discerning, prophesying, interpreting. And I notice that all of these, many of them are action words. I think we can learn that action is a sign of the Spirit. We are often prompted to do something. And sometimes doing that something can be very hard. Um, another quote that I have from President Max, Elder Maxwell from this same talk that I referenced earlier is, he says, a vital lesson is, it is direction first, then velocity. And I think that can be a really powerful thing. This can feel maybe overwhelming to suddenly have to understand how to do any of these things or how to receive the Spirit or how does the Spirit work in my life. But I don't think that we need to know all the answers right off. If we're turning ourselves in the right way, if we're um, feeling a prompting to do something, Maybe it's one small step as we turn ourselves and start walking that way. I think this is really true. I've felt that for myself, that as I turn in the right way, as I open my mind up to the right things, um, first we get direction and then the velocity comes. And I love the way that that just invites, well, maybe solidifies what we're talking about today is that that is a way that the Spirit works. He can quicken a things. Maybe that's, that just came to my mind as something that um, fits with that. It can make things seem more clearly as we even start to turn toward that. Well, I like that again because it fits with the overarching plan of salvation and God's very character and nature. His desire for us is to expand our agency until one day we have all things in our power the way that he has all things in his power. And so it makes sense that when he prompts us to do things, that those promptings come uh, with actions. Um, they're promptings to use our agency to grow and develop or help others grow and develop. Uh, whereas thoughts that come that would restrict our agency or restrict others' agency uh, that would dampen our progress or our growth don't come from him. And so yeah, to link all three of those together to take your first point about divine discontent or, or the devil's dissonance, those kinds of fears and anxieties that we have, if we left to overwhelm us, can stop us from growing forward, so can being overly critical or overly negative. When God speaks to us, he desires progress, growth, um, positivity about ourselves, and optimism about other people and about the world that we live in. 
Yeah, and even as we think of action words as a sign of the Spirit, usually we're prompted to do something or to become something. He wants us to change and grow and be better. We can't forget that he's also very patient with us Hmm. and he forgives us when we fall back. And I know for me, and I know I'm not alone in this, that I can be my worst critic and one of my harshest voice inside my head. Um, Don't let that be the voice. Be the voice. Listen to that voice. Even if it's the tiniest whisper, it's probably the spirit. It's God. He is telling you that it's okay. You can improve we talk about improving in increments. We talk about line upon line, and we need to believe that when it's an internal thing for ourselves, that we really are going to improve, and it's going to take a while, and that's okay. In fact, maybe we can end with the last verse in section 46, because I love the word, you must practice virtue and holiness before me continually, even so, amen. And I know that word practice has many different connotations, but I do like the idea that listening to the Spirit, identifying God's voice, being clear about when he's speaking to us and what it feels like is a practice. As President Nelson says, we are growing into the principle of revelation. We are learning better who God is and what it feels like when he's with us and when he talks to us. And so hopefully this helps you as you answer that question for yourself of what gifts you have seen or received from God that evidence his presence to you. Thank you for studying with us this week, and we will see you next episode.